Christmas is a fun time in a lot of ways. For some of you, you enjoy watching Christmas movies. And I have two favorites. Uh, The first is It's a Wonderful Life. I I really enjoy watching that. got a chance to see it this week. I do not want the colorized version. Uh, It looks a whole lot better in black and white, in my opinion. But the second one, the second one is A Charlie Brown Christmas. And I really like that, uh, probably because I may not only favor Charlie Brown, but uh, might, might be a lot like him in a lot of ways. But, you know, the best part of a Charlie Brown Christmas is when Linus answers the question that Charlie Brown asked. And that question was, isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? It's at that point that Linus walks to the center stage, spotlight zone, and he recites the story of the shepherds and the angels contained in Luke chapter 2. Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospels are typically the place we go when we want to know what the Christmas story is all about. It talks about Jesus' miraculous conception, his birth, the shepherds, the angels, the magi. If we go to John's gospel which we've heard from this morning, we see a more theological approach. When John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But you get to Mark's gospel. And you read that, and it's a little different from either Matthew, Luke, or John. And so I'd like you to take a look at that with me, if you would. We want to look at Mark chapter 1. It is the second of the Gospels. So if you're in Matthew, just keep flipping over to the right. If you are in Luke or John, you want to kind of back it up a little bit. Mark chapter 1, and we want to read the first eight verses contained there. Mark chapter 1. Uh, beginning with verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were flocking to him. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He was preaching, someone more powerful than I will come after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When you read the beginning of Mark's gospel, your response may be, well, Mark, you just kind of blew right on by this birth of Jesus thing. You just completely ignored it, overlooked it, shoved it to the side and and went on to, to John the Baptist. There's no Christmas story here. And that would be true in the sense if you were looking at your nativity scene at home where you have all the bits and pieces set out 
You don't see those bits and pieces. You don't see those individuals. You don't even see the baby Jesus in Mark's gospel. So is there no Christmas story here? Actually, there is. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. Mark, like John, is not trying to give us a narrative of how things happened. Mark is trying to teach us something even deeper about who this baby was. So how does it begin? Let's just, let's spend our time in the first verse and a half here. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God, and it was, as it was written in Isaiah, the prophet. We often think about the gospel that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. We often think about the gospel as beginning either with the preaching ministry of Jesus or perhaps with his ascension, or you may trace it all the way back to the birth of Jesus, the story, the good news of Jesus, beginning in Bethlehem. But I want to tell you that the gospel of Jesus began long, long before his birth in Bethlehem. What is the gospel? Do you remember? We, 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 We saw it in 1 Corinthians 15. It says that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and was raised on the third day, and all of that was according to the scriptures. In other words, Jesus did not come simply to be born as a baby and to teach us how to be nice to each other. Jesus came for a higher and greater purpose, and that higher and greater purpose was to seek and to save the lost, and he did it by dying on a cross to pay the price for our sins, to be buried and to rise again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's why Jesus came. In Revelation 13, 8, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who was slain from the creation of the world. What are we learning here? We're learning that the gospel did not begin in Bethlehem The gospel began in the heart of God. He had redemption in mind before Eve ever ate the fruit or gave it to Adam. The birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of the plan of God. It was necessitated by the fall. It was foretold by the prophets. And it came to pass when Mary gave birth to a little boy. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. The good news that was foretold is now declared by the Bethlehem star. The angels out in the field and the shepherds who came back having seen the little baby. And so there are a few things in the verse that I want us to note It helps us to understand how the fullness of the Christmas story is actually seen here in just these first few words in Mark's gospel. It first tells us that his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary 
and said, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. Jesus, the name means the Lord is salvation. The gospel, you see, is centered not in a myth, but in a real person. A person who came with a name, and his name meant something. His name meant that salvation was in the hand of God himself. That salvation came from the Lord. And this one who was born, the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, this baby who was lying in a manger, he came with a mission. He came to save. The Lord is salvation. The one who was clothed in glory but allowed himself to be clothed in flesh, he came to save. He's Jesus. And I don't think we want to overlook that. He had a name. And his name meant something. We also see that he is the Christ. He is Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. It was not like Joseph and Mary Christ and here's their son Jesus Christ. Okay, that's, that's not where this came Christ is a title. Christ is a Greek term that means the anointed one. It's equivalent with the Hebrew Messiah, the one who was foretold, the one who would, would come. But, but this concept of the anointed one, that, that is significant. In the Old Testament, if we go back and we look up anointing in the Old Testament, you see that it was done... Uh, uh, A person of of significance would be anointed with oil, meaning that they were chosen and were being set apart for a very specific purpose. You see those who are anointed, perhaps uh, you'll find that priests were anointed. We see there's a very elaborate ritual that goes with the anointing of a priest, setting them apart. They are chosen for a specific task. There were occasions where prophets were anointed by the same thing, the pouring of oil on the head to signify that they were chosen and they had a very special task. But by far, when you go in the Old Testament and you look at who was anointed in the Old Testament, we find that predominantly we see the anointing of kings. Oh, this is so important. You don't want to miss this. This is part of our Christmas story. Those who were anointed were kings. Jesus came as king. God had promised one who would be in the line of David. And if you go back and you look in the Gospels, you find out that both, Jesus, that both Mary and Joseph were from the lineage of David. He went back. He was born in the city of David. He is the anointed one as a human he was, he was a human king for us in the sense that he came from these lines. But more than that, he was chosen as king. He was God in the flesh. He was human king and eternal king. He was worthy to wear the crown. And yet, the only crown that he ever wore in his 33 years of life was the crown of thorns. Don't miss this. Jesus is king, but in this life, 
The only crown he ever wore was a crown of thorns. It it shows us the kind of king that he was, not the kind of king who initially rode in with an army and took over and established himself and sat on a throne. He is the kind of king who came to suffer and to die for his subjects so that we could be his, his brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the king of the universe. Oh, there's going to come a day. (laughs) There's going to come a day when he's going to be recognized. The book of Revelation, verse 19, uh, verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 16 refers to Jesus with these words. And he has the name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we are told that there is going to come a time when every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's going to come a time when he is going to be recognized and honored and seated on a throne and crowned with glory. But when he came to us, the only crown he got was a crown of thorns. But he is king. The wise men came from the east and they asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. Let us never forget that this gospel is about a king, a king who came to us, who died for us, who defeated death and hell so that you and I might share in his kingdom forever. But That's not all Mark tells us. He is also son of God. The angel spoke to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be born to you will be called the son of God. You see, Mark didn't have to spend the time telling us about Jesus' miraculous conception. He summed it up in three words. Son. Of God. Jesus was miraculously conceived in the womb of a virgin. He was uniquely God's son. He was both human and divine. He came with the authority of God because he was God in the flesh. It's interesting, if you go through the Gospels, you find that the term Son of God is not used quite as frequently as the term that Jesus himself chooses to use, which is Son of Man. Was Jesus simply trying to say, hey, listen, don't don't focus on my divinity, focus on my humanity? No, he was doing something even greater than that. And I want to show that to you because he was actually pointing all the way back into the Old Testament, all the way back to those prophecies about the one who would come. That term son of man does not simply mean that they are a human being. That term son of man means that they are Messiah. They are Christ. They are the anointed one. They are the promised one. They are the coming one. How do I know this? Because when these two terms are found used together in one portion of scripture, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious elite immediately get up and say he has got to die for that. Because he has made himself to be God. Look at, well, you know, I'll tell you where it is. You can look it up in your Bible or write the reference down on your page. Matthew 26, 62 to 66. I don't think we have the words on the screen, so don't worry about that. It says this, the high priest then stood up and said to him, 
Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying about you? But Jesus kept silent. Then the high priest said to him, by the living God, I place you under oath. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. Same terminology that Mark used, except using Christ instead of Messiah. Jesus Christ, the son of God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. And Jesus said, you have said it. In other words, it's taken you a while, but you finally got to the answer. This is the final Jeopardy question, and you got it right. You've said it. But I tell you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And when the high, the high priest tore his robes, and he says, he has blasphemed. Why do we still need witnesses? Look, now you've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they answered, he deserves death. Because he is the son of God. The son of man. He was claiming to be in nature God himself. And he deserved to die. When you are taking down your Christmas decorations, when you're dismantling your manger sit, your nativity scene. Before you place little Jesus back in his box to take him out next December, would you hold that little caricature of baby Jesus in your hands and recognize that he was more than just another little boy. Oh, children are precious to God. Children are precious to Jesus. But this child who was born to a virgin and laid in a manger He was so like and unlike every child who'd ever been born before or since. He was both ordinary and extraordinary, both human and divine. For here was not just the son of Mary, but the Son of God. But we read one other thing in Mark's gospel that is significant as we consider the Christmas story in the gospel, and that is he is the fulfillment of prophecy. The passage we read quotes from Isaiah 40, verse 3, referring all the way in the past, Isaiah referring to John the Baptist who would come and prepare the way of the Lord. There are in the Old Testament at least 44 prophecies that directly relate to Jesus. The wise men came following a star. But what happened when they showed up at the palace of Herod and they said, Where has he been born king of the Jews? What did Herod do? Do you remember? He called his priests and he called the scribes together and he said, uh, we got a problem. 
Go look it up and tell me where the king is going to be born. And what did they do? They went to the scriptures. And they came back and said, in Bethlehem, hundreds and hundreds of years before the angel ever appeared to Mary or Joseph. Hundreds and hundreds of years before Caesar Augustus called for a tax that would send this young couple to a city called Bethlehem. God had already established it. It was as good as done. Jesus is the fulfillment of all those prophecies over all those years about one who would come. So much so that the writers of the New Testament would say, this is is that. What you're seeing today, what you've seen in Jesus, what you've experienced here is what was foretold so long ago. When we say that the gospel did not begin, in a sense, at Bethlehem, but began long ago in the heart of God, God planned it all. How does then Mark write the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because the coming of Jesus was the fulfillment of all that had been told. He's here. That's what the angels came and told the shepherds. In essence, he's here. You've heard these stories. You sat down at your father's knee and he's read these scriptures to you or told you these stories. You've heard them from the priests at the synagogue. These promises that a deliverer, a king, a savior would come. He's here. And when the shepherds went to Bethlehem and they saw Mary and Joseph and the child, they came back celebrating, filled with joy and telling everyone they knew, he's here. He's here. It is the beginning of something new. It is a new day, a new dawn. God has fulfilled his promise. Jesus is that fulfillment. Christmas is the beginning of the gospel, for it is the beginning of the fulfillment of what God has promised. It was there all along for everybody to see. God had spoken it through the prophets. Jesus fulfilled it. He is Savior. He is Christ. He is Messiah. He is King. He is God. And we get to celebrate his coming.